My racing career isn't just about me. It's about the team, the fans, the sponsors, the families, the tracks, the whole sport. Join us over the next five months on the Junior Nation Appreciation Tour, where we show appreciation to where it's owed. This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. I was happy for Dad after it was over and he had won, but I don't like to finish second. This is the Daytona 500, and thank God! It's an accomplishment that we'll not forget. There's a lot of satisfaction in winning the championship. Jeff Gordon out of turn number four. He will lay claim to his first ever Winston Cup victory, and it comes in the Coca-Cola 600. Rick Hendrick, uh, hope I'm with you for a long time. At the end of the day, you still want to see a lot of people in those stands. I am a history. (laughs) Back in the day, with Steve Richards and Ron LeMasters. NASCAR history is a rich tapestry of speed, personality, and great racing. Here at Back in the Day, we celebrate that history by keeping it alive, just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. did on the original TV show. We'll take important dates, races, and trends in NASCAR and pass them along to you. Here comes Back in the Day from the Exalta Studio inside Junior Motorsports. Charlotte Motor Speedway and the Queen City in general has had a lot to do with the success of NASCAR. NASCAR. Truth be known, it's in the same zip code as Daytona Beach, Florida as the most important city and track in the sports history. The first NASCAR race ever took place in Charlotte at the old Metroline Fairgrounds north of the city and was won by Jim Roper. Charlotte Motor Speedway was built in 1960 and it became one of the crown jewels among the tracks on the circuit. And there were a bajillion tracks on the circuit in those days. Today, Charlotte is the de facto headquarters of NASCAR, as nearly all the teams are located within an easy Uber ride of Uptown Charlotte. Half the population of Cabarrus and Iredell counties works in the sport, and there are oodles of race-related businesses all around the area. The Exalta Studios we're sitting in here at Junior Motorsports are within the city limits of Mooresville, otherwise known as Race City, USA. One man who knows all about that, and a lot of other things to boot, is H.A. Humpy Wheeler former general manager of Charlotte Motor Speedway and perhaps the finest race promoter of his generation. We'll have more with Humpy later in the show. In the meantime, let's take a hike down memory lane to 1960. Why don't we? Bill Mazeroski's home run allowed the Pirates to sink the Yankees and win the World Series. I am today. John F. Kennedy. Announcing my candidacy. Announces his intent to seek the presidency of the United States. Initially, uh, I opened the first club because Casablanca was my favorite film, and uh, I wanted to be like Rick. I wanted a club of my own. The first Playboy club in the U.S. opens in Chicago. Jimi Hendrix played his first gig... Johnny Cash first sang the blues behind bars for free, and Ben-Hur won the Oscar for Best Picture. Among those who passed away in 1960 were billionaire John D. Rockefeller. I am very grateful to you and to a host of people who are so kind. Whose personal account was closed that year. G-man Melvin Purvis chased his last public enemy number one and the timer expired on Dr. Frederick Roweeder. He'd created a machine that both sliced and wrapped loaves of bread. Inventor of the bread slicing machine. Now let's open the bag and build us a sandwich around Charlotte Motor Speedway. Steve Richards, longtime broadcaster and pit reporter for the Performance Racing Network and the producer of Back in the Day, 
has been there for much of that history. And it's a ham sandwich, Ron, I think, well, when it comes to us. Exactly. A little <laughs> yeah. cheese, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> history is what Charlotte Motor Speedway is all about. And thinking back over the years, uh, that first night race in 1992. That was wild. Dale Earnhardt's pass in the grass. Mm-hmm. Of course, the all-star race back then. Jimmy Johnson winning so many Coca-Cola 600s. Jeff Gordon's first uh, win right. at Charlotte Motor Speedway. What else do you remember about that place? Well, I remember we had a race. I think it was the All-Star race when uh, everybody got to turn two and piled in because oh, the track yeah. wasn't dry. Oh, yeah. Jeff Gordon actually won that race. Right. I was. I happened to be in the now-defunct Diamond Terrace at that time. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And it was, uh, you know, that's another thing, too. Charlotte Motor Speedway has undergone a tremendous uh, facelift. Over the past, oh, I'd say 15 years. Not only the, the seats mm-hmm. and the fan amenities, but the track as well. Right. The the levigation initiation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to grind the bump stand just didn't work. Well, you know, I think it might have had they given it more time and not made such a big deal about it. Well, I think chewed up tires big time. Well, uh, hello, Darlington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, Charlotte really has been, you know, and the fact that I lived like two miles away from it. Right. I mean, I'm around it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's really a hub because Hendrick Motorsports is op skipping a jump across US 29. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, a lot of the race shops used to be located sort of on the grounds there. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the places I first worked when I came down here was uh, the Nashville Network or World Sports Enterprises. Right. Which was run by Patty Wheeler, Humpy's daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to broadcast races out of there. And it was just on the backside of, uh, of Charlotte Motor Speedway off turn two. Wow. So that that was really cool. And uh, I do remember losing a, a, a set of right side tires on the access road uh, <laughs> from there to uh, US 29. <laughs> I ran over a board with a bunch of nails in it. Nice. And, nice. Uh, and my, pit, my, my spotter didn't tell me it was there. <laughs> you didn't have a spotter, did <laughs> uh, you? Well, that might have been part of the problem. <laughs> but, yeah, as far as racing goes, you, you and I were talking before the show. There was a NASCAR <laughs> Xfinity Series mm-hmm. race that took place in October that Dave Blaney won in driving the Hass Avocado number, whatever it was. Yes. But that was the damnedest race I've ever seen in my life. What do you remember about that? Just, uh, there was a lot of confusion about scoring. Uh, stuff just kept happening, you know, on top of each other. Right. And and it was a wild finish, I remember. But I, I remember thinking, man, you could not script this if you, if you know, if the Marx Brothers wrote the script, they couldn't <laughs> script this, you know? Uh-huh. It was it was a wild time, and and Dave Dave deserved the victory. He was the fastest guy out there, but uh, I mean, just one thing after another happened, and, and it just it was a very difficult story to write, to yeah. be honest. Now, when I think of history at Charlotte Motor Speedway, my mind goes back before Charlotte Motor Speedway was ever built, back to what nineteen forty nine. Forty nine, yeah. Yeah, the first race. You mentioned that in your monologue, your opening monologue, and about twenty years ago. I had the fortune of interviewing Jim Roper, who mm-hmm. won that race. That must have been cool. Yeah, and the guy was old then. <laughs> and uh, it, Has he, since passed on, Yeah, correct? he's since passed on, but he had a very interesting story. And also we talked with the, the son of the owner of the racetrack, and it was a dirt track mm-hmm. back in 49. There were very few paved tracks on the, on the circuit back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, were there any paved tracks back then, do you know of? There might have been something up east. I mean, I'm not exactly sure because I didn't really look at the at the race schedule. But th- there were very few, and they were mostly in the northeast. And NASCAR raced all over the place in, the, in those days. Well, I want to play you this feature. We aired it again 20 years ago. And you're going to like this. It has some really cool old-time music. Good. I like it. All right, so here we go. 
The year was 1949. You're going to have to put up with me for another four years. Harry Truman was five months into his second term as president. A bottle of Coca-Cola would set you back a nickel. Hey, boss, that pressure blue suit, how's it look? Fine. Now take it off and hang it in the closet. <laughs> the Jack Benny Show was a mega hit on radio. And the big band sound still ruled the airways. 1949 was also the year an overflow crowd of 22,000 plus filed into Wilkinson Boulevard Speedway, a three-quarter mile dirt track where the first ever strictly stock division event was held in Charlotte. It would later be renamed Grand National and then Winston Cup. 33 cars started, and the man who won it June 19, 1949, was a 31-year-old Midwesterner named Jim Roper. I saw the notice of the race in the Smiling Jack, which was a comic strip at that time. Smiling Jack was penned by cartoonist Zach Mosley, who knew the man who organized the race, Bill France. So Mosley gave the Charlotte event a mention in his national cartoon strip. Now Roper, who lived in Kansas and raced in the Midwest, drove his strictly stock car to the Carolinas. I got a brilliant floor and walked around the racetrack. Took a good look at it without the car, and in the afternoon we time trials, and fortunately uh, we were in, running close to the front, as everybody says. We thought we were in front. North Carolinian Carl Allison built and owned the track, and his son David, though only a youngster, remembered how much dust those 33 cars conjured up. They call it the dust bowl. And everybody in the neighborhood and everybody around here sued my father. And, yeah, all we had to paint their houses because it was terrible. The late Tim Flock finished fifth that day. Just a few months before his death, Flock reminisced about all that dust and just how bad that day really was. The dust was coming in the cars. It was caked in our mouth, in our teeth. I would have liked to have had a handkerchief tied around my face during the run. We actually had to run the wipers. All 33 cars still had the wipers on them, but these wipers helped us to get rid of the, the dust that was settling on the car. All that dirt and dust made it tough to score the race, and Roper remembers their unique way of counting laps. I had a counter out of the slot machine, and every time I make a lap, I, all I had to do was touch the lever, you know and they had uh, sheets of paper with the num lap numbers on and they're supposed to turn them every time you go by. The cars weren't numbered very well back then. I had a 34 on the front fender and it was about maybe six inches high. Now, Tim Flock also found pit stops amusing. Remember, the only difference between these race cars and a street car was a beefed-up right front tire and no hubcaps. We had to pit on the dirt, and some of the jacks would fall over. You had to start all over again. And as you know, if you've ever used one of these jacks that come with a car, the car would raise up three or four inches before the tire would even start off the ground. And then it would fall over, so some of these stops were actually five, six, seven minutes long. At the finish, Glenn Dunaway took the checkered flag by three laps ahead of Roper. But a post-race inspection found Dunaway's car with altered rear springs, and Jim Roper was declared the winner. It's been over 40 years since Roper retired due to race-related injuries. However, he did climb back into a race car in Bellevue, Kansas, at the age of 80. And they had it all restored. It run better than it did when it was new. But when I got it up on the half, it was just like old times. And I told the guy that owned the car, I said, you know, give you another week's practice, and I'd be just like it was. <laughs> but I'm kidding myself. <laughs> The track was bulldozed when Interstate 85 was built. 
However, if you know the neighborhood and know just where to look, you can still see where turns three and four of the old Wilkinson Boulevard dirt track used to be. What do you think? I like it. That's a, that's a, that is awesome. That was really well done. Thank you. I appreciate you had, you had that. Your, um, that's back in the day. Oh, that is back in the day. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize he was 80 when you did that. Uh, yeah, over 80. Over 80? Yeah, he was He hung over. in there, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> Well, and you know that's a that's a sad fact about our sport. You didn't you don't see a lot of old race car drivers, mm-hmm. at least from that era. Yeah, absolutely. And, but no, he sounds like he's a great guy. You know, he at Bellevue. That's a nasty track, by the way. <laughs> that's a high banked uh, quarter mile. Yeah. Oh my, they go fast. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, Jim Roper's. I mean, he's the quintessential guy that got NASCAR started. Mm-hmm. What boggled my mind about that was he he saw the note for the race in a comic strip. Yeah. What yeah. does that say? Smiling Jack. Smi- well, I mean, and back then, see, I talking about history, I used to work for National Speed Sport News, which mm-hmm. was first published in 1934, back when motorsports was not the colossus that it is today. My old boss, Chris Economaki, used to say that racers were looked upon as one step up from hobos. Right, you right. You grease under your fingernails, yada, yada, yada. But it, and it just kind of calls attention how far the sport has come since then. Well, publications like National Speed Sport News, that's where race fans got their information. Yeah. and, and There I, was no TV. There was, you know. Hardly radio, any radio. Hardly any radio. Right. Or at least covered that. And no TV. Right. Um, and it lasted. I mean, if you if you grew up with it, Johnny Rutherford, mm-hmm. three-time winner at Indianapolis, mm-hmm. used to sell the paper in Texas. In the late 1980s, if I did not get Ken Schrader's copy of National Speed Sport News, to his hauler, within 30 minutes of arriving at the racetrack, he came looking for me, <laughs> you know, and yeah. he found me usually and took three or four papers. Yeah, but, yeah. But it was, you know, that that was the way that, and, and the advent of the internet kind of killed, you know, if video <laughs> killed the radio star, <laughs> the internet killed the newspaper star. But yeah. uh, NASCAR began in the lounge at the Starlight down in Daytona, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the first race they put on, and it was here. Which leads me to believe that Charlotte is a lot more important to, you know, Daytona Beach is where it started. Sure. But here is where it lives, you know, yeah. if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Looking back at some of the best of the best at Charlotte Motor Speedway, Bobby Allison, Daryl Waltrip, Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson. I mean, the, the, the cream of the crop mm-hmm. come to the top. As mm-hmm. they say, the cream rises to the top. Right. And, and that's true at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Bobby Allison and Daryl Waltrip. The only two guys with six victories mm-hmm. at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And I'm surprised David Pearson didn't have more success here. Yeah, Pearson did have four wins mm-hmm. and uh, 11 straight pole positions. Well, he, he was always fast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, between 1973 and 1978, in that Wood Brothers Mercury, mm-hmm. which was my favorite car. Right. Back then, you were a Richard Petty mm-hmm. fan, mm-hmm. and I liked David Pearson's car. Nobody won the pole. Right. In five years. Yeah. It's pretty it, amazing. That's like Martinsville and Richard, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, he. I don't know if he won 11 straight, but he won a lot of races. Who's that? Richard Petty. Oh, sure. He won yeah. uh, He won five. Mm-hmm. And um, what's amazing is that he didn't win at Charlotte until 1975. That's an eternity for Richard Petty. Now, they'd had qualifying races mm-hmm. back in 1961, and Petty won a qualifier. Mm-hmm. Guess who finished second in that qualifier? Who? Ralph Earnhardt. Ralph Earnhardt. <laughs> <laughs> and they just, the ties just keep on coming. Yes, they? The, yes, they do. Back in 2009, I had the fortune to interview Richard Petty, and we talked about Charlotte Motor Speedway and why it took him so long 
to get to victory lane. Some racetracks is that way. Okay, it's not that we didn't run good. We're in plenty good enough to win races, uh, do the whole smear. I mean, even the very first race, we was leading the race with 100 miles to go, and I'm like a motor blowed up on the thing. I mean, you know, just <laughs> you've always had a deal of a, having a good car, good crew, everything worked good. Uh, circumstances just didn't let you win races. And, uh, you know, I've had other racetracks where maybe you didn't run that good, but you won a lot of races because circumstances let you win races. So uh, you just sort of throw them all in there and see what comes out the end. What was it like that first time when you finally won that race? It was it was a big deal. In fact, we wound up winning both races in 75. Hadn't won a race up to then. Uh, I think we'd had a couple of winners. I think uh, Marvin Panch had won a race for us over there, and uh, Maybe Jim Pascal had won, won one of the races for us. So we knew we had the car capable of winning races. It just never hit on me. And uh, so that, that was a good year for us. It was so long. I mean, 600 miles at that time. Can, you ran mostly short tracks back then, didn't you? Well, yeah, you 100-mile races and stuff. And then you run Darlington, I guess, at 500 miles. And then all of a sudden you're running 600 miles. Uh, it, it didn't make a whole lot of difference. I mean, you know, we'd... Whatever NASCAR threw out there in front of us, that was our goal that day is uh, try to finish the race. Do you remember the first time that race ran, that you ran it back in the early 60s? I remember when it tore up, when the track all tore up and come all to pieces and stuff when they ran the very first race, and that was strictly survival. Of course, a lot of the races back then were survival anyway because the cars weren't as good a cars as they are now as far as running five or 600 miles. But back then, you just had to miss all the holes and stuff. And, <laughs> And it, it was, it was a, <laughs> a real obstacle course, and, uh, you know, we didn't quite make it. Finally, that day when you finally won the 600, I mean, do you remember coming out of the car and ha how you felt when you finally? No, it, it, was, it was a big deal. It was almost like winning a Daytona race or something because you tried so long and been so close and never won it. So uh, I guess the satisfaction finally, finally hit in that, hey, you know, we, we've run here, we've done everything, now we finally won a race. Dale Earnhardt, 48 starts. Good Lord. At Charlotte Motor Speedway, five victories, 16 top fives, and one he uh, put an exclamation point on was the Coke 600 back in 1992. Earnhardt opens it up. Two car lengths divide him and Ernie Irvin as the field enters turn three. It's Earnhardt. Now Irvin begins to close up. One and a half, one car length. Irvin swings high. The final 2,000 feet for Dale Earnhardt. After battling for over four hours, it has come down to this. Irvin trying to close in. Can't do it. Earnhardt wins the 1992 Coca-Cola 600. It was a long time coming, you know. It's a long time since we've been in Victor Lane. And the guys worked hard. This is the car we wrecked in the Winston, and they fixed it and uh, got us a good motor here and all of them. They did a great job. It's great to win down here in front of hometown fans and all these great race fans down here in Charlotte. Bragging rights. Bragging rights. Well, you know, I think he made his first start here. I believe so. Yeah, and, and it was, uh, you know, prior to his Rod Osterland days. Right, right. And I think Humpy Wheeler was instrumental in getting that ride for him, or helped helped him get it anyway. Right. They were close friends. And, uh, you know, that's, that's another another nail in the house that I'm building that Charlotte is the most important city in NASCAR. <laughs> and you mentioned the all-star race. Mm -hmm. Now, folks, I contemplated pulling out more all-star audio, and then we thought, hey, we did a whole show on the all-star race. That's right, www.dalejr.com slash Radio. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> pull up the show and listen to it. It's pretty It's pretty good. That's right. You and can hear all the highlights from uh, famous and memorable all-star races. Yeah, and there's there's a couple that come to mind, which you will hear on that show. Yeah. Again, Dirty Mo Radio from the Exalta Racing Studios here at Junior Motorsports. Bobby Allison, 43 starts, mm -hmm. six wins, three-time World 600 champion, 
Bobby remembers it being a heck of a grueling race. Well, it really was. You know, uh, so many times, uh, you know, your tongue would be hanging out like a red necktie, but uh, still it was a job to do. And actually, one of the memories that comes to me about that whole deal is when my brother Donnie won the race and I was second. Donnie uh, did the Indy cars and did so good and also did a limited schedule on the NASCAR stuff and, and the uh, cup cars. And he was a great competitor. And so for us to run one, two was a great, uh, great afternoon. I think Bobby Allison's probably one of the more, Bobby and Donnie Allison are one of the more versatile guys. Cale Yarbrough too, because they would go and run the Indy cars and do very well. Bobby Allison drove for Roger Penske. Yeah. When Roger Penske was not, he wasn't the captain then. But he was sort of maybe like a you know, private a l- lieutenant. <laughs> lieutenant. Yeah. But no, I mean, he was, uh, he had bad, fast cars, and Bobby was not afraid to go and mix it up then. Donnie had a great record at Charlotte. I mean, he's had 30 starts and three victories in the 1970 World 600. So, from a percentage standpoint, that's pretty good. I don't think he gets enough credit as far as being the driver that he was. No, no. And, you know, the Allison family is, is uh, you know, the Petties, the Woods, the Allisons, the. You know, the Earnhardts, those are your leading families in NASCAR history, I would think. Some of the other uh, historical drivers that won at Charlotte on multiple occasions, Fred Lorenzen Mm -hmm. with four victories. All these guys, four victories. We talked about David Pearson, Buddy Baker, Mm -hmm. 57 starts at Charlotte, three-time World 600 champion, four victories overall. Buddy Baker was perhaps the most fearless guy I think I've ever met. Yeah. When they were building the Turn 1 suites there. Uh, my friend Keith Waltz, former editor of National Speedsport News, and, and he uh, actually spends a lot of time around the Speedway because he does the programs and things. Right. Um, remembers they, they did a, uh, back when Buddy was driving the uh, Butch Mock car, the 75, Valvoline right. car. Okay. Gets in there. He's uh, There's no seat. He, he's doing a ride around at the Speedway. This is when they had the wall in turn one down right. to build the suites, right? And Buddy asked him how fast he wanted to go, and Keith responds put it on the pole <laughs> so he goes charging down to turn one with no crash wall and they ran a really representative pole like lap oh wow and he's he's in among the bars there's no seat oh wow so i'm like props to you keith waltz you are my hero that's nuts yeah that was fun that's but nuts. but he was you know and buddy was so he worked at tnn when i was there and and i got to to talk to him a lot he was just i mean a font of wisdom he was really funny Oh yeah, he and uh, he would tell stories on. Nobody could tell a story like Buddy Baker. Oh, I know. He and Tom Higgins and people like that would get together and start telling stories. Mm-hmm. And if you were, if I had a tape recorder, I had, I'd have had a book already <laughs> on that. Just stories from the road, right? I I do have some Buddy Baker stories on tape. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, we'll have to do a funny show one of these days. Yeah, we've we've tried so hard. The last yeah, two years. <laughs> we do we do well enough on our <laughs> That's own. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blooper reel at the end of it. A couple other drivers who won four times at Charlotte, Casey Kane. Casey Kane. Yeah, I mean three for Dodge and one for Chevrolet. Uh, for Hendrick Motorsports, and uh, he was asked why he's had so much success at CMS. Yeah, I think you just kind of get a feeling at certain tracks, and you know what you need, and if you either get it in practice, you keep working to get that feeling, or or you don't. We've been able to get it a, a few times there and, and run really well. It's hard to get it, but if you can get it, it's hard to get beat once you have it. And good news for Casey, too. He's got a ride for next year with uh, Levine Family Racing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a great guy. Uh yeah, he's won races here for us at JRM. And Mark Martin also with four wins. Mark Martin had great runs at mm. Charlotte Motor Speedway. 58 starts 
all together. Good Lord. All his wins were for Jack Roush, of course, including mm-hmm. the 600 back in 2002. And in looking at the stats, okay, get this, from October of 1995, mm-hmm. okay, through May of 2002, Martin finished in the top five 11 times, including two wins. So Martin especially tough to beat during that time period. Charlotte was a track that seemed to suit him. He was very good at Michigan as well. Mm-hmm. And there are similarities between the two tracks. Uh, Mark Martin was the quintessential thinking man's racer. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of guys drive with uh, other parts of their anatomy than their right <laughs> foot. Mark always drove with his head. And that was very, very, you know, that's why he was so consistent. He and- was just, uh, you know, reel him off top tens and top fives. And, and he wouldn't win as much as he might think he would. But he would always get the job done. And the Bush series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was... He was almost lights out. And have you looked at the Bush Series stats lately, the career stats? No, I haven't. Kyle Bush is about to double his uh, Mark's then record 48 victories. Wow. Because he's got like 91. Now, Mark Martin, between October of 1993 and May of 1999, he started 12 Bush races at Charlotte, won half of them. And he finished only one time outside the top four during that streak. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Those are Jimmy Johnson numbers right there. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, it, Man, I'll tell you, they would unload that Winn-Dixie number 60, mm-hmm. and just everybody else was racing for second place. He won the inaugural Bush race at Texas Motor Speedway in mm-hmm. that car. I have a picture of me and Victory Lane interviewing him Wow! in my living room, <laughs> so I see it all the time. That's one of my favorite paint schemes. And you're taller than he is. Uh, yeah, by about three or four <laughs> inches. Pretty amazing. Uh, Mark Martin was, uh, was in ASA, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where he got his start. That's when they had those big old huge fiberglass bodied late models. Mark Martin was about four foot nothing. I exaggerate, of course. He was taller than that. Sure. But there's this little, t- and he was like 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And he would get in this ginormous car. He actually ran a pink car, pink number two, uh, the Ray Dillon house car. Okay. And just whipped everybody's butt in the Midwest on East. And it was, I mean, it was fun to watch him like race at Winchester, which is a big bad track. Right. And he'd pop out of the car and you'd think, all right, how many phone books are you sitting on? <clears throat> right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I've always liked Mark Martin. He's been one of my favorite drivers for a long time. And he he had the temperament, I think, to master Charlotte Motor Speedway. Guys have won three races at Charlotte. We mentioned Donnie Allison, Cale Yarborough, three victories. Never won the 600, though. Mm. Leroy Yarborough, mm-hmm. 17 starts, three wins. The last right. two with Junior Johnson. Cale Yarbrough was somebody I thought that he he won a couple anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he would be. This is the kind of track that would appeal to him. Now it did take him 19 starts to win this first Charlotte race. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that had to do with patience. Well, maybe. <laughs> kind of spread out his three wins: 73, 79, and 85. Mm-hmm. Okay. One in each style car too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty versatile. Uh, and 79, he was still running that slope nose Malibu for Junior Johnson that was just that they had to outlaw because he kept winning all the races. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, you know, and then 85, he was running the Hardy's car. One of my favorite paint yeah, schemes. That is, uh, you know, good biscuits too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rediscovered Hardy's now. That Cinnamon they, biscuits are really good. Oh, they're so, awesome. Yeah. Growing up in the Midwest, we didn't have Hardy's. Right. Until later. But uh, I spent a lot of time in the South, so I got used to it. And that was that was really awesome. Dale Jarrett, three victories mm-hmm. in 41 starts, mm-hmm. uh, one for Gibbs and a pair for Robert Yates. Mm-hmm. Jeff Burton, also with three victories. There's another guy who, whose temperament suits suits Charlotte Morris Like Mark way. Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And He's he got, always around at the end. And he and Mark Martin are friends and were teammates, and mm-hmm. you can see why. Right. Birds of a feather. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then another guy with three victories you might not think of off the top of your head is Kevin Harvick. 33 starts, three wins, all of his wins since 2011. Mm-hmm. And um, Harvick didn't like Charlotte Motor Speedway. He loves it now, but um, he explains uh, why it wasn't always that way. For a while, I was like, man, we got to go to Charlotte. And then I did the uh, I did the, the media day here about four years ago, and Marcus had the PR staff show up with um, the amount of money that I had won and, and how many top tens we had, and he's like, you need to stop complaining. Everything yeah. is fine at Charlotte Motor Speedway. You just need to win. And um, we, we won that particular year and, and had won the All-Star Race back in 07. But uh, it's been a great racetrack for us. And, and, and anytime you can you can put things together at Charlotte, and especially in Victory Lane, um, you know, you, you, you're fortunate to be able to, to see a lot of team members that don't necessarily get to experience Victory Lane a lot uh, like, they, like they are here, here at Charlotte. So... That's always uh, pretty cool uh, to see the wives and, and team members that, that don't normally get to come uh, be able to participate in Victory Lane. Well, that's another thing to bring out. It, this is the home track race. Sure. I mean, you know, we're everybody, uh, all the shops are right close to Charlotte Motor Speedway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mooresville and Concord are not exactly close. I know. I drive it every day. Right. But uh, it's, it's somewhere where you don't have to get on an airplane to go. And everybody's wives, girlfriends, kids – uh, relatives, they come for the Charlotte races. Winning it is really special simply because of that. Mm-hmm. And the part, you don't have to drive, so the party can go on for hours. <laughs> Jeff Gordon will always have a soft spot for Charlotte Motor mm-hmm. Speedway. He got his first win here. He did, and it was big. 1994. Right. It was, uh, and he had a big year in 94 anyway. Yeah. Winning the Brickyard as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He thought he would run second in this race, but a, uh, a late race pit stop, Ray Evernham took on two tires, everybody else four. Gordon beat him out, held off for the victory, and victory lane was very emotional. Well, you know, I, I can't think about what's just happened right now. Or I won't be able to talk to you. Uh, my eyes are going to be filled with tears all night long. I know that. Uh, about 10 to go, I had such a good feeling. You know, we, we pretty much held the gap on Rusty. And, uh, I mean, I started crying out there in the race car. You know, I just... You can't imagine how hard it is to get to this point. And, uh, you know, it, it's just wonderful. It's, it just truly is. You'll never hear another driver that emotional no, no. in your life. No, I, well, and he's, he had always been that way. <laughs> yeah. When he won his first race on Thursday Night Thunder, which is sort of what made him a little bit, right. what got him into the national prominence, um, that and the, the careful attention of John Beckford, um, <laughs> But, you know, he was always emotional, and he was very happy about it. He put a lot into it. He's not a really emo- or expressive guy, mm-hmm. but, you know, he feels things pretty deep. And, and you can you can tell when something strikes a chord with him just simply because of the amount of emotion you hear in his voice. Back in 2014, Gordon reflected back to that first victory. When you move up to that level, the unknown is the one thing that always gets you. And, and the unknown to me was whether or not, you know, I had what it took or whether our team had what it took to win at that level. And you, you want it so bad, but yet, you know, you you, um, you, you just aren't sure of what uh, it's going to take. And, and then a day comes together like that day in May in 94 where you're in contention, you're, you're pretty much a second-place car, and, and your team makes a, a great uh, call 
to you know take two tires and, and get to the lead and and then it's all on you to you know go put laps together hope the caution doesn't come out and, and get that win and so you know it was a it was an emotional moment because one is I was getting my first win it was sort of unexpected because we were running second pretty much all day and you know it was um, one of the greatest moments of my life just because I, I, I felt like I'd worked hard but was unsure whether I had what it took to, to win at that level and you know when you're in victory lane it all hits you all at once that you just did this well he's he was kind of young at that point anyway mm-hmm. you know so now Jeff made those comments in 2014 and little did we know there would be a fight oh after that you don't say that a fight weekend? in the NASCAR race yeah mm. yeah Remember that? Yes, I do. The sort of nat- right in the middle of that. The naturally mild-mannered Matt Kenseth right. wasn't too happy he went after Brad Kozlowski. That's uh, an urge that a lot of people have. Yeah, right between the uh, the transporters. Uh, well, if you're going to do it, might as well do it where you can limit the uh, amount of people in and out. Yeah, right? you put Brad in a headlock. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty wild. Which, you know, Brad's kind of tall. I'm, I'm, I'm Actually, props to him for getting the headlock. Yeah, well... Here's a uh, audio montage of Kozlowski, Kenseth, Denny Hamlin, Jeff Gordon on what happened that night. The 20 car uh, got in back of me. I'm one of the restarts, just a racing deal. I wasn't mad at him, but uh, when the last yell came out, he got the waiver on him. He came by, he came by and swung at my car and tore the whole right front off of it. And then for some reason after the race, the uh, 11 stopped in front of me and tried to pick a fight. I don't know what that was all about. And he swung and hit at my car, so I figured if we're going to play car wars under yelling after the race, I'll join too. So you know those guys can dish it out, but they can't take it. And I gave it back to them, and now they want to fight. I'm just riding back to the garage and have my hands off, my seatbelts undone, get my helmet stuff all off. And I see him trying to wreck Denny in the middle of the corner. He's out there doing donuts, so I'm trying to get back to pit road. And we're all the way on pit road with pedestrians and people with their helmets off and everything. And he comes in there 30 miles an hour faster than me and just... Uh, annihilates my car, runs me into Tony, and not a safe situation sitting there with uh, no belts. I should know better make it all the way back to the garage, but, I mean, the race is over, so I don't think there's any place for that. It's uh, extremely dangerous, and uh, it's in really poor judgment. Matt was nearly out of his car, and he just plowed into Matt and then ran into Tony. Then he went through the garage and cleared out transmissions and did burnouts in the garage and just acting like a dumbass instead of a champion. We shouldn't be wrecking cars after or under yellow or after the race, but I can't allow my team to be intimidated. To come down afterwards and have your stuff off and your net down and come and pull those high school stunts playing car wars after the race was just absolutely unacceptable. So I don't regret my actions. I don't, uh, I'm don't. i not proud of them or happy about them or any of that, but I, I don't regret them. I don't know that I'd do anything different if uh, the same thing would have went down again. Yeah, he must have been pretty mad. I think Matt is a pretty calm and collected guy, you know, over the years. I mean, he and I have had our incidents, but that was because I was mad. He, I don't think he was mad at me. I, mean, I wrecked him one time and I don't remember him being mad at me that much. So, and he's never come and tried to put a headlock on me. So we usually talk it out. So obviously there was some built-up animosity towards Brad. Uh, I, I better hold the rest of my thoughts back to myself. <laughs> You know what was funny? What? On pit road afterwards, hmm. Dale Jr., he was being interviewed, mm-hmm. and he stopped to watch the fight. Uh, <laughs> trying to figure out who to bet on. I'm I wonder whose ass he's trying to whip. How Here. can you not watch that? Chase, boy. <laughs> that damn Chase is working. <laughs> you know, Dale is a uh, is a good student of the passing scene, uh-huh. I think. And, and, you know, it's funny because he – Here's it just as a comment, and I'm not saying this just because he's boss man Dale. Sure. But he has always been certain people are not relatable once they get to a certain level. Okay. Dale Jr. will always be Dale Jr., you know, forever. And he's just like you and me. Yeah. Um, he drives a better car, 
Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> better cars, yeah, cars, uh, several, <laughs> but, but you know, he's, he is as quintessential. Every man is just about anybody you ever want to meet. And, and that's, what's cool about him. One of the things that's cool about him. Right. And, and you know, over the years that you've been playing sound bites, cause, uh, I tend to hear a sound bite and it goes right out of my head. Right. But, uh, you can tell when he was younger, he was more brash. Now he's just like, Hey, will you look at that? You know, <laughs> geez, you don't see that every day. So I, I think that's really neat uh, in his development as well. You know, speaking of boxing, uh, one of the guys that's really responsible for Charlotte Motor Speedway's place in the firmament of NASCAR is a guy named Humpy Wheeler, who yes was a boxer. Yes, he was. And he actually, the uh, North Carolina Boxing Hall of Fame is ensconced at the uh, in the Burton Smith building at the, uh, is at it the still, Speedway. Is it still there? It, it was last time I checked. I, now, I haven't been over there in a while. It but used to be a hallway. Exactly. Well, it's, it's a hall of fame. I, that's right. It truly was a hall of fame. And <laughs> I I saw it for the first time years and years ago, and I looked around, and, and it said Boxing Hall of Fame, or mm-hmm. was it North Carolina? North Carolina Boxing, Boxing hall, of fame. hall of Fame is a hallway right. at the Speedway. Right. And, and Humpy, being the boxer, mm-hmm. he made sure that that was going to uh, – to happen i think that, that there's an extra fund in the purse yeah. for anybody who lands a good right hook now that wouldn't surprise me <laughs> wouldn't surprise me but a lot of the problems nascar has had i think in in the past several years is they forgot how to promote their races it, it got to be a situation where they say we're going to throw the gates open and people will come if you build it they will come right well okay but you still actually have to tell people it's out there the smile and jack's uh, comic strip is not around anymore yeah as far as i know so you know, Eddie Gossage is a disciple of Humpy Wheeler. Uh, there are several who, who are good promoters. Right. But it tends to be the SMI tracks, Speedway Motorsports, that actually pays attention to stuff like that and does it the old time way. Humpy Wheeler known for his pre-race shows. Yes. And, yeah, especially in Memorial Day. Yeah. Back in 2008, uh, Humpy talked about that. I think the pre-race shows, uh, uh, I think they added a, a nice bit to people coming. I. The reason I did pre-race shows, people said, well, is to get traffic in and out. But really, it goes back to when I was a little boy and I would go to race. And I'd get there early, and it was usually on Sundays because there weren't a lot of lit tracks back in those days. And it was just so boring to be out there in the heat and nothing going on and guys standing around the cars waiting to get to go racing. And I thought, well, they could be doing something uh, instead of watching I was going to say grass growing, but back in those days, there weren't any grass around the racetracks. I guess dirt. <laughs> drying or something but i just thought well there there can be more to it than that and uh the challenge of the pre-race show has always been though this place is so big and spread out that you need to do things that are spread out over a big period of uh, a long deal and and obviously air shows would be the perfect thing but it's so difficult to do air shows because of all the faa uh, requirements that we had to come up and do do other things but those were fun. Well, air shows probably not as much dangerous as firing a howitzer toward turn four. That was fun. <laughs> that is fun. Invasions. Uh-huh. Guys jumping cars. Buses. Yeah. Guys being shot out of a cannon. Mm-hmm. They had a tightrope walker. Trapeze. That yeah. was the Walendas. Yeah. 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 And and you grew up the same time I did. You saw that, the whole Carl Walenda thing in Miami. Oh, yeah. That was, um, that was frightening. Yeah. yeah. But uh, actually, I almost got arrested that day. Four. Uh, I did not understand that i could not be underneath the uh tightrope yeah and the security guys were coming to get me before i figured out what i was doing wrong (laughs) so i pleaded ignorance and uh 
they believe me, oddly enough. Wow. Well, you're, <laughs> well, when it comes to ignorance, you're believable. That's right. I am. Yeah. I'm um, the poster boy. The first uh, night race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, 1992. First lit up super speedway. Humpy, uh, definitely proud of that achievement. When I was up at Winston-Salem and we were uh, afraid we were going to lose the Winston, and Wayne Robertson gave me that, okay, what, it, what kind of bright idea have you got for us? Because uh, there was a lot of talk about moving it to Richmond, and uh, I couldn't think of anything. The ideas that we had had presented to him before, I could see the blank stare. I always knew Wayne real well, and I could read him like a book, particularly when he didn't like something. You know, we Southerners, we have a interesting habit of saying no. We don't ever say no. We say, you know, well, we'll think about it. Uh, or maybe that all, that means no. I don't, I don't know about that. He would say that. That definitely was a big no. Uh, so, so I said, well, I just said, well, how about let's light the place and run it on Saturday night? So I, the flash went on in his eye, and I, I knew that he, he liked that idea. So we're riding out the parking lot of RJR and <laughs> – Jim Duncan said, you are crazy. I said, we don't have but eight months. How are you going to do it? And I said, I don't have the slightest idea. <laughs> so we tried to do it first. I said, I'm a, I, I can figure this out. If you can light a half-mile track, you like a mile-and-a-half track. Of course, I'd already gotten calls from a number of, I will say, distinguished people in the sport saying that was stupid <laughs> and not to do it, which just made us want to do it more. <laughs> well, I remember being there that night. Mm-hmm. And that was awesome. Yeah, it was. I mean, heretofore, I, you know, I grew up in the Midwest where uh, a lot of it was just floodlights like you'd see at your at your normal high school football field, right? Yeah. Well, you can't really drive uh, uh, at 200 miles an hour with that kind of lighting in and out. Right. So uh, when they when they put those Musco lights up, and that was just the trick thing of the of the 21st century, right there, mm-hmm. because you could, I mean, it was like daytime. Yeah, it yeah. was amazing how bright it was. And consistent. I mean, it was just like, you know. We take that for granted these days. Oh, yeah. But back then, that yeah. night was magic. Uh, well, I mean, and do you remember 92? Mm-hmm. No, the Diamond Terrace wasn't there. The only no. thing I can that compares to that uh-huh. was the first uh, Winston that I saw when they had the Diamond Terrace up there, and they had the big logo, the Winston logo up there. Right. That's the only time that compares to that to me because, I mean, it was just electric. It was. the pun. It was. The place was packed. <laughs> yep. There was a hundred and what, fifty, sixty thousand people that night. Right. And Davey Allison, of course, won the race, mm-hmm. hit the wall, and he and Kyle Petty got together and right. you know the whole story. Oh so. yeah. And again, www.dalejr.com slash dirty mo radio. Um you know, Humpy Wheeler to me and and everybody look sometimes he'll say stuff and you just go like, you know, basically, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. But you, you look at what has happened. And you've talked to him a lot, so have I. Um, the guy is a thinker, and he understands. I think he understands what people want to see, and, and that's very, very rare in this business. That's what a great promoter does. Exactly, and and it may be outlandish, and it may be I'm going to have a 600 million gallon fish tank, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, again, I'm just pulling sure stuff out of the air, sure, but you know, it works, and, and I. A more stuff of that he's thought up has worked than has not. You know, the IndyCar race here at Charlotte was a great race until the tragedy that happened. Right. Okay, and I think they would still race well here. They put on great races at Texas. Well, a, a dark day for Charlotte was the sportsman race. Right. 
when uh, a driver was killed and, Russell and Phillips. yeah, and that was that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has Charlotte has seen its share of tragedy: the bridge falling down, the collapse, Fireball Roberts, Fireball Roberts losing his life. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a number of uh, dark afternoons, dark uh, evenings mm-hmm. at Charlotte Motor Speedway, but for the most part. It's been, uh, you know, a huge success. Mm-hmm. Racing we'll, is an inherently dangerous sport, and we, you know, sometimes we're reminded that it, you know, it can be that way. Humpy Wheeler, proud of his behind-the-scenes work at the Speedway. Just to make sure that that everything is shipshape as possible, and you've got clean restrooms, you got you get people in and out of here on time. I was I was I was probably prouder of what happened last year, which is nothing anybody brags about, but uh, uh, we broke the traffic exit record getting people out of here in 30 minutes uh at both races earlier than than they've ever gotten out so taking care of the spectator and making them have a good time uh is just so important particularly today with gasoline what it is and uh people got so many other things to do you know there was a time when there wasn't much to do in this area and uh it was before pro sports and before a lot of other things and there were very confining blue laws that wouldn't permit you even stores to open but today uh you know you got three or four hundred channels on tv and uh malls and everything else to compete with so you gotta you gotta really come up and entertain people in the butt but you've got to take care of them you got to get them in and out and you got to make sure they get clean restrooms and all that kind of stuff so he said that in 2008, and it's still true today. Yeah. Do you remember, were you there the day he stuck his head in a lion's mouth? Yes, I was. That was uh, <laughs> that was courageous of him. And stupid. Well. <laughs> Even Humpy said that. <laughs> well, you know, he figured the lions had this happen before. and They fed him earlier, yeah, so, yeah. you know, no problem. No real hunger here. Yeah. But he saw the uh, Bojangles sign. and <laughs> Got one more soundbite for you. Sure. Buddy Baker. Buddy Baker talks about our friend Humpy Wheeler. Every young driver that ever met Humpy, he contributed to their success. I mean, with me, I wanted to be a super speedway driver, and he was working for Firestone even before he got to uh, Lowe's. And he got me fixed up where I did 90% of the uh, tests for Firestone on major speedway. And through the years, we just had a great relationship and I guess Earnhardt was the same way I mean he just kind of put him under his wing and said here's the way to get started we're going to do what we can because we need somebody from this area to really be a superstar well I mean that's that's starting out with a diamond the size of a football and making a ring I mean you know he started out from a great family of racers and uh, I'm second generation and both of us had good success at, at uh, Lowe's. I walk in there, open the door, sit down, talk to him. And, you know, 15 years ago, he told me, he said, you know, somebody needs to develop a better seat than you guys have in race cars. That's how far ahead he was thinking of the safety features that we have now. And then he came out with various things that you could put on a race car to lessen the uh, impact that was not the softer wall, but very similar to it that was in the race car. And then he and I talked one time about uh, lighting a major speedway. We talked about it, and I said, wouldn't it be nice if the walls themselves, when the caution comes out, if the walls would light up, 
you know. And then I thought about it. Well, I like the flagman. We wouldn't want to do that. But I said even the flag stand, it could go green. And when the yellow come out, it could actually turn yellow. And, you know, if there's a red flag situation, you could you could light it with red. Wouldn't be a problem at all. We got to talking and, oh, I guess a year and a half later, what do you think? We have lights at Lowe's Motor Speedway. And everybody said, that's crazy. That can't be done. Well, it got done. And... Humpy has a place at this racetrack, even though he does not pay the bills, he does not own it. I I dare say that this racetrack would not be where it's at today without him. I miss Buddy Baker. Oh, yeah, I do too. The guy was always congenial. He had great stories. I could listen to him talk for hours. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I have, too. There was a rain delay at one point. What was fun for me with Buddy is that I used to always see him at Daytona. And for some reason, I would see him in the cafeteria all the time. So luckily, there was usually a spot there. I got to sit down with Buddy and hear the stories, and he would tell you know a bunch of his racing stories. Mm-hmm. I really missed that a lot. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, you know, I, I think we've pretty much cemented the legacy of Charlotte Motor Speedway as, as very, very important to both the past and the future of NASCAR. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of the past... Buzz? Buzz. Yeah. Yes. It's time to uh, see how much he knows. That's right. Well, again. Again. <laughs> I think we I, I was going to take our butt whipping and go home, you know. <laughs> this week's featured segment, as always, is called Beat the Buzzer. It turns out to be Beat Steve and Ron about the head and shoulders. That's <laughs> what <it> usually. <laughs> it's very simple. We've, uh, we've gotten Buzz McKim, the historian at the NASCAR Hall of Fame, uh, who knows his stuff, to join us each week for this segment. And our listeners can win prizes. 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 We like giving things away. I don't think we've ever won, so everybody gets a prize. Call in and get a prize. That's what you do here on Back in the Day. We can't win. No, we can't win. We give the prizes. We give the prizes. Yes. 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 In the prize closet. Yes. Upstairs. Yes. No, it's either from Exalta or from uh, Dirty Mo. It's locked. We can't get into it anyway. No, no. And and there's alarms and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Buzz, welcome to Back in the Day. Oh, it is my pleasure as always. Thank you, Ron. We've been talking about Charlotte on our show, both the city mm-hmm. and the, the track. What are your thoughts as the historian at the NASCAR Hall of Fame on the importance huh. of Charlotte to the sport? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, you know, of course, the first uh, Cup Series race was held here in Charlotte at the three-quarter mile dirt track out by the airport back in 1949. And then <clears throat> you had the Southern States Fairgrounds out at uh, Sugar Creek in Tryon that uh, went back into the 1920s. And then uh, you also had the board track, which, you know, very, very elite form of racing back in the early part of the century. Very dangerous and it was a mile too. and a quarter. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, 45-degree banks <laughs> on a wooden track. Amazing. So Charlotte has always been a hotbed for racing. And, uh, you know, now it's, you know, it's really the showplace of the sport. I, I agree. This week you're coming here to kick uh, Steve and I around again. Um you know, mm-hmm. well, I, I think you start to feel bad about how you beat us every week. Maybe? <laughs> maybe? No? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's set this up for you. The week before each episode, we will put out the call for Junior Nation and Dirty Mo followers to take to our Twitter accounts, at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio, and post with the hashtag back in the day and tag it with Exalta. Of those, Buzz will represent one lucky fan in Beat the Buzzer against Steve and Ron. We are the uh, Wiley co-hosts. We're the Wiley co-hosts who are pretty much a sure thing to get you a prize, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> if Buzz gets them all right, and he always does, no matter how hard we try, 
One lucky fan chosen randomly from that week's submitters will win a prize from Dirty Mo Radio or Exalta. This week, Buzz is playing for Kathy Uten Devrick. All right. Good luck, Kathy. Good luck, Kathy. This is no time to be nervous. Then no, no, no time to be nervous. Buzz will take great care of you. We'll get you a prize. That's how this works. But uh, okay, we're going to uh, start our questions. Uh, the beating commences now. Question number one. All right, Buzz, which driver won the first NASCAR race at Charlotte Motor Speedway? Oh, you know, that was a big surprise. And, you know, 600 miles, nobody knew what to expect. You know, the track was breaking up. It was, you know, they had a lot, a lot going against it. But uh, anyway, Joe Lee Johnson from Chattanooga held on and, and took that win. It was the, uh, the biggest win of his career. Actually, it was his only cup win, but uh, it certainly put his name in the record books. Cool. And, you're, yeah, of course, you're correct. thank you (laughs) (laughs) question number two Jim Roper won the first NASCAR race ever at Charlotte or in Charlotte Mm -hmm. what state was he a native of ah Jim uh, he was from Kansas he uh, drove his new Lincoln from Halstead Kansas all the way to Charlotte and raced it and uh, actually Glenn Dunaway from nearby Gastonia had won that race. He was flying the one, but then on post-race inspection, they found that uh, he had had a little help with his rear suspension. Oh, and hey. qualified him. Yeah. It, it, and they, uh, they gave the race. What's that? The cheating in NASCAR started with the very first race. No, no, no. Not cheating. Creative rule interpretation. Oh, okay. yes. I'm sorry. I, I didn't get the memo on the, uh, on the acronym. <laughs> yes. But a few years ago, I was out in Kansas, and uh, we went to Jim Roper's grave. And uh, we talked to a lot of people that knew him, and uh, uh, we, we saw the garage where he, he slept in for a while. Because, uh, you know, he, he just liked to race. He didn't care about going to work or anything. He just wanted to race him. So the guy who uh, had built his car back in the day uh, gave him a cot and said, yeah, you can just stay right here. But I heard the most interesting story. Uh, after he won the race, you know, he was a, a out-of-towner. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, officials went ahead and said, there's got to be something wrong with that car. So they tore the engine down. This is a brand new Lincoln. Wow. Took the engine apart piece by piece, nut and bolt, and they finally got it all spread out all over the uh, you know the pit area. And they said, "Well, I guess you're legal. Here's your money. Congratulations!" And everybody drove off. Oh. And there's Jim sitting there with his engine out on the ground, and that was his way home. Wow. So luckily, the guy who the guy who owned the car, Miller Clothier, he was a Mercury dealer, a Mercury Lincoln dealer out in Kansas. And he knew the guy who was the dealer in Charlotte. So he was able to get an engine, and they put the engine in the car. And, uh, you know, they drove off into the sunset with the winnings. I just thought that was hilarious. Oh, my goodness. All right, Buzz, here is question number three. How many drivers with a surname Johnson have won at Charlotte Motor Speedway? Oh, yes. Let me see here. Well, of course, you have Joe Lee that we just spoke about. Mm-hmm. And then you have the uh, the ultimate moonshiner, uh, Junior Johnson. He won with Ray Fox's hot mystery motor Chevrolet in '63. And then also, uh, our, of course, our you know current superstar Jimmy Johnson. Uh, none of the guys are related, but, uh, but those Johnsons certainly did find their way to victory lane, didn't they? Yes, they did. And I, you know, I thought that was my that was going to be my haymaker, but uh, I should have mm-hmm. known better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, yeah. I I was going through trying to think up something that would stump you or at least give you make you break a sweat, oh. and I'm like, hey, yes. lots of guys named Johnson. So, ah, ah. Uh, what's going yeah. on down at the Hall of Fame? 
Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Next week, uh, we're launching a new exhibit, and I can't tell you about it. There'll be a lot, a lot, a lot in the press, or if you go to NASCARHall.com, you'll get to see it. It is awesome. That's going to be the perfect exhibit for the kids, too. Oh, one more little thing. i got to tell you, it's so ironic that we're talking about that first cup race here in 1949. Yesterday, a uh, co-worker and I were up in Denton, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and we met a fellow named Archie Smith. Now, Archie's 87 years old, wow. and he is the last surviving driver of that first race. He was 19. He borrowed his uncle's 46 Ford, and he finished, I don't know, like sixth or eighth or something. And uh, and he's the last survivor of the very first cup race. And I think, man, this guy is like a national treasure, you know? That's awesome. I mean, and, you know, it, it just kind of reminds you exactly how much history NASCAR has. And it also reminds mm-hmm. you that, uh, that, you know, the guys who – started this whole business need to be honored as just as well as the guys who are currently competing in it absolutely yes sir that's for sure yeah but i mean it was just like welcome back in history to meet mr smith yesterday that's awesome well i sure do look forward to our next adventure uh us too and buzz we'll see you next week and kathy uten deverick thanks you for winning her a prize from either exalta or dirty mo and we will see you next week that's it for this episode of back in the day Thanks to Buzz McKim, our resident NASCAR guru, for playing along with us again. And keep an eye on at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio for the opportunity to play along. Remember, history is made every day, so be a part of it with Back in the Day. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio. If you love Dale Jr., then Exalta Racing is your go-to social media account on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It brings you insider's info all weekend long on the 88 team. It's at Exalta Racing, a must-follow for any Dale Jr. fan.